we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. People are unhappy, hopeless, and feel like their voice just doesn't matter. They've got us where they want us. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. Who ever came up with the idea that having a race to the bottom would close the achievement gap among minorities and whites and Asians? Some schools are going gradeless, they're canceling honors classes, and not informing students that they've received a National Merit Scholarship. This is carrying diversity, equity, and inclusion way too far. As Booker T. Washington said, no greater injury can be done to any youth than to let him feel that because he belongs to this or that race, he will be advanced in life regardless of his own merits or efforts. The whole point is to raise the achievement level of underachievers not to stunt the progress of the high achievers to even things out. This kind of reminds me of various programs in 1964's War on Poverty, and it sought to raise people out of poverty, but for many, it resulted in intergenerational dependence on the government. And for more people, which they hadn't expected, of course, stagnation at a subsistence level. The tactics of the poverty war included AFDC, the aid to families with dependent children, where if there was a man in the house, there were no welfare benefits. What happened to keeping the family together during troubled times? What happened to encouraging families to lean on one another and discuss and hopefully resolve their issues? The thought process behind AFDC was only the beginning of the state's new role as in loco parentis. This goes beyond co-parenting. Parental rights are now under assault. More and more laws are emerging that allow teachers more control over the intimate details of our children's lives. In multiple states, children can have abortions with no parental involvement. Possible harm from abuse need not be shown in several states. A proposed California law would allow any minor as young as 12 to seek mental health services and go to a government residential center without their parents' knowledge or consent. Now, current law quite reasonably allows parents to be out of the loop if the child presents a danger of serious physical or mental harm to themselves or others, or they're a victim of child abuse or incest. It, it is so bothersome that it, California seems to not care about parents. They have another law that it's already passed through the assembly, and it would include a parent's, quote, affirmation of the child's gender identity as part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child. This would become a factor in determining whether a parent is guilty of child abuse in custody hearings. 
How is this in the best interest of the child when this bill applies to children of all ages, not just 12 and up? So the parent who affirms gets custody and the other parent is labeled a child abuser. You might be thinking, it's only California, but we always have to remember California is the petri dish of bad ideas. So if we want to have controversial ideas out here in California, fine, but still stay away from the kids. My guest and I today will talk a little medicine, a lot about the politics and the new emphasis on wokeness and the lack of parental rights. And we just can't wait to get to it. You may remember Dr. Diana Blum. She's a board-certified neurologist who trained at University of Chicago and Stanford. She's currently in private practice in Silicon Valley out in California, where she focuses on the chronic management of patients with Parkinson's disease. When not practicing medicine, Dr. Blum is a mom, I guess we can say, full-time mom, and uh, has become quite active because of the change in this cultural environment in parental rights. So welcome to the show, Dr. Blum. Thank you. Thank you for having me back, Marilyn. Well, let's just start off. Schools look like they've become indoctrination factories, and this consent problem is quite bothersome. What have you found with your kids' schools? Uh, so this is probably one of the most depressing things. Um, and I kind of felt like a bad mom in the sense that I was not really paying attention. I just trusted that the teachers have my, you know, the best interests of our students, that the administrators obviously want the schools to thrive. But, um, you know, as many of us parents, when the pandemic hit, uh, we decided to start paying attention a little bit more because it was it, there. There was no choice. It was in our you know homes, and when I started paying attention, I realized that a lot of um, the curriculum was actually changing. So there were active changes to what the kids were being taught. And, you know, other than my mom hat, I am a physician. And so some of the things I was seeing was was quite disturbing. Uh, for example, um, in our kindergarten, um, there in our elementary schools, in our kindergarten, they were introducing the gender bread men. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've got five-year-olds coming home asking about what is intersex, completely inappropriate for, you know, child development to even be discussing any of that. Um, in eighth grade, uh, which is uh, our middle school, a teacher basically um, presented biological sexes fall on a spectrum and there's a range. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I didn't learn that in medical school. <laughs> um, and, and the worst of all, um, they were no longer presented with STDs. So these are not diseases anymore. They're STIs, infections. And of course, infections shouldn't have stigmas associated with them because they're all treatable. So essentially in, you know, health education class, kids are being taught, don't worry about, you know, STIs 
eyes because everything is treatable, which is misinformation, right? Like you, once you have HPV or HIV, no, <laughs> you can treat it, but it's lifelong. There's no cure, right? So um, I... Uh, well, let I've, me interrupt. I'm sure if there's, we have veterans that listen to this and this show and some veterans know, I hate to say, and a lot of other people from personal experience that some gonorrhea is not true. Treatable. So many people who'd gone to foreign countries picked up strains that our standard treatments did not cure. So, uh, and the and they idea just, of not yeah. saying it's a disease. Goodness. <laughs> Well, well, that's the thing. And so, and and then moving on to my high school, um, you know, in my daughter's AP US history class, right? This is AP US history. The teacher did not believe in the constitution, so she didn't teach about it. They glossed over World War II because that was not an important part of history, yet they spent several weeks trying to find all the transgender people that fought in the Civil War. I mean, it, it's everything is kind of turned upside down. Now, with, and I wanted to kind of give, well, how did the schools handle it when parents uh, brought these concerns to their attention? For the most part, ignore, 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 for the most part. But then when parents started realizing individually we're being ignored, we started to kind of go together. And, um, you know, with the with the particular science teacher that um, with the the you know, I would say taught misinformation at this point. Um, the the science teacher was talked to. Um, there were 42 very inappropriate videos, v- very inappropriate videos um, that were actually removed from the uh, school-issued iPads. So the administration did acknowledge that they were inappropriate and, and removed them. However, they did not notify any of the parents in that particular classroom, just the parents that complained. So, cause I, I started talking to some of the other parents who had no idea, you know, who were not paying attention, what was actually on the school iPads and what the kids were being taught. Um, in uh, the APUS history situation, we were reassured that this teacher is not coming back. And I said, okay, well, that's great. Where is she going? Well, she's been promoted to the district office as an administrator of curriculum. So she she did not teach the proper, in my opinion, curriculum in APS history in the classroom. So instead she gets promoted to administration. I mean, this is... This is so that story. way she can give that <laughs> curriculum to other schools too. Right. Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, this, I, I'm in, I mean, I, I'm a product of public school in San Francisco, right? I, I've never in a million years thought that this is where we would be today. I'm, I have no words to be honest. And um, unfortunately, um, parents who do speak up, I think are, then targeted <laughs> because you know we're labeled troublemakers and um i i'm certainly feeling it a little bit uh so much so that um you know for the first time in my life i mean i've you know california is my home <laughs> i i don't know any other home outside but i'm i'm actually thinking about moving <laughs> that's 
that's the saddest part of it all that I think parents who care about their kids don't see um, staying and fighting as an option because we're not getting anywhere for the last three years. That's been the message on every level. It's Um, so sad, Diana, because when I was, I went to public high school, downtown public high school, but it had a good mix of kids that had kids from both sides of town And we had very interesting courses and even had, uh, I was across from San Diego City College and you could go over to City College and take a college course. At the time, Esperanto was big. It never went anywhere. That was supposed to be the new international language. My school taught it. They taught Latin, all this stuff and applying to Stanford uh, the high school could count at the same level as a prep school because they had a different grading scale for kids that went to prep school, you know, assuming it was harder than public school. All these wonderful things. California was one or two in the top schools in the nation. Now it's 49. And you think, how can that happen in such a short period? What? one or two generations. It's, it, it, it is sad. I talk about native. I'm born, raised, uh, family, been in California since 1945. And it's sad to have seen all these changes and particularly in education. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm honestly, uh, as you know, I come from the former Soviet Union. And and so my parents would tell me about, you know, indoctrination and, you know, how they were taught, you know, what to think, not how to think, and how blessed I am that they sacrificed leaving everything behind to come here so that I and my children didn't have to endure that. And I didn't have to endure that. I will admit I had an amazing education here in California. I cannot say that that is the experience of my children today. And, you know, just knowing what everything my parents went through to get me here, it's just, it breaks my heart. Um, And personally, if I had to pick some blame, I think it's our crony politicians. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the reason we're here is because there are bills like some of the ones you mentioned in your intro that are being passed. And despite parents speaking up, I mean, the it's almost like the votes are already in before, you know, the, there is even an opportunity for public discussion. And actually, that's how our school board meetings are, are run. Um, you know, I started attending some of these school board meetings and they don't even allow parents to uh, speak up. Oh, well, that's not time for public comment. You should have submitted questions ahead of time. And it's like, wait a second, but you're telling us new things that <laughs> we want to respond to. And yet they don't give us an opportunity to have a voice. So, um, yeah, that's oh. just today's reality here. And the politicians, this this is the same at my town city council meeting. We would be so upset when they wanted to propose something. And the person who was proposing it gets to bring this whole PowerPoint. They got pictures and people and they get 20 minutes and then the citizen gets two and a half minutes. 
And then they only allow a few people to cede their time to somebody else. So somebody couldn't present an entire good debate argument against whatever the city wanted to do. And that's all set up. They they really don't care what we have to say, sadly. When we get back, I want to talk about critical race theory in the kids' schools and what they're teaching and how they're dealing with race. And this certainly is a hot topic since the Supreme Court has decided on affirmative action and decided it was unconstitutional. And you wonder what the schools are doing now. Will they change anything as far as their teaching? So we'll get into all that after the break. I'm going to talk about Co-fix RX again, people. You know I love it. I use it all the time. This is a nasal spray that has a very simple idea. It's made of iodine, xylitol. Both of these things destroys germs, bacteria, as well as viruses. It's also got a little vitamin D for a little extra punch. And using Co-fix for me. It, I look at it like an airbag or seatbelt. It's not going to prevent 100% of the time someone getting hurt in an accident, just like it can't pre- prevent 100% of the time you're getting a cold. But it will decrease the chances that when you get a cold, and if you do get a cold, since all these viruses come through your nose, it can help stop it from getting down into your chest and getting pneumonia or worse. So I'd like you to look at the button right on our page for Cofix RX. Pop it on. You can read a little more about it. And I'm so proud of it. One, it was invented by an American doctor and it's made in the USA. So give it a try. Learn more about it. Hopefully you'll like it as much as I do. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. So before we went to the break, I brought up the issue of race in the schools. How are your schools dealing with teaching anti-racism? This is another (laughs) another sore subject for me. Um, Well, and not just for me, I'm realizing there's actually a lot of parents who feel similarly, but have already seen how parents who speak up are treated. And so they just don't want to rock the boat. And um, the, the race issues, you know, 
primarily are um, introduced in the ethnic studies curriculum. So I have a rising freshman and that's when ethnic studies is taught. So I went um, a couple of months ago to the district office and actually sat and reviewed the entire um, ethnic studies curriculum for the district. And I was appalled what I what I found. Um, there was an activity called race sorting, where the kids are presented with different pictures of different people's races and told guess the race. And <laughs> the irony is, but don't use stereotypes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, they're first of all teaching kids to first look at race and then sort and when I guess when they mean by sorting the race is this intersectionality triangle that they're um, uh, being taught where every everything has to be looked through in this one lens view of you know oppressor oppressed and and I understand you know taking a step back I'm fully supportive of understanding our history and understanding you know all the wrongs and wh- and where even today there are inequalities or in you know uh, disparities in outcomes but when you start um, sorting children or you know into groups and then pegging one group against another all you're doing is fostering othering right us versus them and so you know then you're surprised when we have an increase in violence and mental health problems <laughs> you know we've had so many fights i mean when i mean fights in our high school this year it, it it's we had a, a hammer versus pepper spray. We had two loaded guns. And, you know, th- this is in an area where um, five years ago, I never heard incidences like this. But ever since they started implementing these changes into the curriculum, you can tell the the mental health issues are going up. People are, because you're not being taught, like, how to think and all you're being taught is this is how you label and then this is why you know this one is bad and versus that you can tell the impact on these kids is anger i mean it's bringing out the worst of our humanity um so uh i'll give you some examples going back to like third grade in a local school um Kids were, and this was in a math class of all things, were asked to rank themselves based on their privilege. And of course, privilege is then put in the context of power with an emphasis, again, of immutable characteristics. These are third graders. So at a very young age, and again, through ethnic studies in in high school, we are literally teaching children to first see immutable characteristics and make some kind of assumption based on that um it uh, i i have no words again (laughs) but what was supposed to be the point of showing kids pictures and telling them to identify what what race the person was in the picture i mean what was the whole point of it i thank thank you i have no idea 
I mean, they so following that race sorting activity, there was a celebrity race sorting activity. And literally, you had Taylor Swift, and you had to guess her race and nationality. And there is no point. I don't know. There was no object, objective. There were no goals. There were no lessons learned. It was literally, these were the lessons in this 400-page binder that I reviewed. And every lesson was, like I said, like, I don't mind if you teach this critical lens, critical theory lens as one of many lenses to look at the world. I think it's an important lens for, for kids to understand, yes, there is this way of looking through power and privilege, and there's one piece of a much bigger puzzle. But that's not what it was. You know, there was nothing in the curriculum that taught about the actual rich ethnic cultures that make up California. You you, you didn't hear about, you know, any of, I mean, really, I, I went through this binder and what was missing was where did the Asian um, uh, Americans come from and the, you know, various backgrounds and struggles and overcoming adversities and here we are. None of that was in there. There, there was literally every every unit was about some kind of you know grouping power this and that and 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 then of course the gender stuff was uh, coming through as well which i'm not sure how um you know gender falls into the ethnic studies um <laughs> but but there it was well that's because people think that now this is what i've read that the lesbian what are they intersectionality are their methods are the ones to follow that those are the methods of the revolution now i don't know who says this you read this in some of the blogs and i'm thinking whoever decided that you can take one group of people and decide they're the perfect revolutionary and and then why why do we need a revolutionary anyway that um what we need is people to open their eyes look at people as individuals and i just can't believe that i when i hear about teaching little kids to look at race i think try to think back to myself in third grade and second grade and we weren't looking at that at all. I went to a Catholic school and there were kids from Tijuana that came up over the border to come to school. So obviously they were Mexican and they spoke Spanglish and we all learned Spanglish on the uh, the uh, lunch yard and then during recess, but everybody spoke English in class, but there were white kids, black kids, Mexican kids, and they were just kids. And nobody paid any attention. And uh, the well, first time a boy tried to kiss me, it was a little white boy <laughs> kissed me on the cheek in the second grade. <laughs> and th and that's how I grew up. I mean, and and I grew up poor, you know, as an immigrant, and we all got along somehow. It you know, <laughs> none, what what the color of our skin didn't matter. I mean, the other thing completely missing from the curriculum I reviewed was Martin Luther King. <laughs> like like oh none goodness. of his teaching like that is considered pacifist in this you know um, revolutionary 
promotion that that was all throughout this curriculum. Um, who was raised up are folks like, you know, Ibrahim Kendi, you know, writings that basically embrace, you know, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. This is certainly not the moral compass upon which I want my children to be indoctrinated. And yet, I don't really have a choice. Most of California has adopted these types of curriculums. Well, when when parents complain about it, what do they say? How do they justify teaching kids? I mean, obviously, we want people not to be a racist, period. We know that. But like Morgan Freeman said, if you want people to uh, not look at race, stop talking about it so much that kids weren't looking at it in the first place. And then now you've planted the idea in their mind. What When parents complain, what, do, what does the school say? What evidence do they have that that makes things better in our world? Well, that you know, the, like I said, the first thing is they just ignore you. Like I have written to the school board and literally like a three-page letter using references, using data that shows that this is only going to lead to like more violence and hate. And, and, and just like, I got one. So of the entire school board, I think it was like seven or eight people. I got one of the uh, trustees to respond with a one sentence saying, we asked the teacher and they are fine with this curriculum. So it will stand like, what? <laughs> that was the response. Um, and and so most of it is just dismissal, ignoring. Um, I can't tell you how many emails I've been ignored by the principal. Like it's that. So that's the first response is no response. Um, but then when you actually um, like at the middle school level, um, I was able to sit down with the superintendent and um, a couple of other moms. So it was like we went in as a group and and I have to say, like, I felt like they listened. I We were able to show every single example that, you know, we've accumulated over the past year. And, and like I said, at least at that level, there was something that was done because the examples were so egregious that you can't not ignore them. But it didn't actually change, like, what was communicated to the rest of the parents, it didn't actually change the fact that this is still part of, like the response that they told us was, at the end of the day, this is California state mandated curriculum. So there was nothing illegal. It's just on our local level, you know, they agreed that for our community, it was inappropriate. But, but there's nothing that's, you know, this is sanctioned by the state of California because they've passed laws saying this is what needs to be taught. Um, and the only difference is individual teachers have discretions of some of the, you know, videos that they share and that kind of stuff. But the the big framework is that's, there's no choice about it. That, you know, the state is, has basically voted that this is what they want to teach our kids. And so parents who disagreed don't really have many options. Wow. And, you know, <laughs> I look at it, everybody's trying to get equity and equality, but look what happens. What will happen is the schools will be left with the people who can't afford to get into a private school, enroll their kids when they're still fetuses into the private schools. And then the 
people who don't have the money will be stuck in the public schools, learning this drivel, learning to be a victim. And what happens? It's more unequal than ever. Absolutely. And I actually think it widens the equity gap within the public schools themselves, because many students are obviously not being met at their potential, and they're getting, quote, lost in the middle, right? Like they're, they're, um, the the ones that are really underperforming are getting extra support that the school, you know, has funding for. And the ones that, you know, are, are super smart, and a lot of times those the reason that they're doing really well is because we are in an area where people can afford private tutoring and they do. So even though you're getting a public school education on the side, you're getting a parallel private tutoring education on every single subject. That's what I see. And so the the actual equity gap widens in these situations. Um, and, and the folks that are in the middle just trying to stay by are the ones falling through the cracks. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see this as improving outcomes. Um, I actually see this as lowering outcomes for everybody, but in the effort of, you know, equal outcomes. So, you know, it is the race to the bottom. <laughs> uh, well, so in, in this effort to even everything out, now I understand that some schools are taking away various tracks like advanced track or the slower track or whatever. And I don't know, is it because it stigmatizes children or what are they expecting to achieve by doing that? Well, that that's exactly right. So the, you know, the the whole tracking, they're trying to fix the problem at the high school level by getting rid of honors English, getting rid of honors science, but you cannot fix these problems by the time you're in high school. The gap is already way too high. I mean, we have one of the um, elementary middle school districts that feed into our high school where there's a less than 7% of eighth graders scored on target in literacy. And so you're going to put those in the same class as those that have, you know, 90% and above exceeding. And, and, and so the ones that, you know, are exceeding are bored. So what's happening is they just don't show up. So the attendance is going down, but no, but nobody seems to care if a student went from a 4.5 GPA to a 4.0 GPA, even though they failed all their classes because they stopped going because they were never challenged, right? Nobody cares about that. And then the ones that feel demoralized because they can't keep up, they can't even read in the class, don't come and attendance goes down because they're, they're not, they can't keep up. So who are you actually benefiting in this, you know, classroom? Well, it sounds know. like they are back to our old word, virtue signaling, that it makes people think they're doing something and it's totally the wrong thing to do. There's a reason tracks were developed. And, you know, even someone who was slower, they can end up feeling good when they become at the top of their class of the track they're in. And then they they can move on and then they can learn to actually read or actually know math and not like they're doing now where they're just graduating kids and they can't even read. 
Well, of course. And then this kind of piggybacks into when I was on your show last time, because then they're trying to do the same thing at the medical school level, right? Or the law school or college, like you have to fix it at the elementary school level. That's where, that's where the resources need to, to really be um, put and, and, and uplift those that are struggling and bring them up to speed by the time they're in middle school and high school, you know, but they're, it's all upside down with this approach. Um, I actually spent the last couple of years volunteering in one of these um, underprivileged schools where um, I wanted to give back to the community, but I also wanted to learn. I wanted to see how the curriculum changes that they're implementing on one side of you know the city is actually going to help the the folks where where I was volunteering. And the bottom line is, it wasn't. And you know, it's interesting because in that in that elementary school that I volunteered, there's some really, really bright kids. And, you know, if you took those bright kids and put them with other bright kids and actually gave, you know, they can thrive. And then at the same time, if you took the kids that are struggling for a variety of reasons, some, you know, maybe need more emotional support. Some maybe really do have learning disabilities and need, you know, more special education support. But give the kids, meet them where they are to, you know, maximize their potential instead of just dumping everyone in the same classroom. So so instead of actually addressing the root problems in this elementary school that I was volunteering, they're going over here on the other side and just creating the same problems. So I, I you know, I that's that's what I've observed myself. Wow. Well, this is hearing it, as we say, right from the horse's mouth. And I'm sure so many of the listeners are finding the same thing happen in their school areas. So, hey, you're not alone. Doesn't make it any better. But it lets us know you got to get out there and fight, fight, fight. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about parental rights and the transgender issue and uh, children's privacy and get into that. And I'll ask Dr. Blum to put a little bit of her doctor hat on and talk about the brain and, and a few things in maturation and growing up and why this issue is important. I just want to thank everybody for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 p.m. with an encore at 10 p.m. Eastern and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. All shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours, and the episodes are on lots of the podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy, bookmark americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. One of my favorite things about pulse is that it's a different person every day. I'm on on Mondays. Tuesdays, we've got Drs. Jordan Vaughn and Stuart, Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesday, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch. Thursday, we have Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays, Dr. Harvey Reich. And on Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we have nurses out loud. So we certainly have a lot of medicine that you can get into. So let's get back to the show. 
was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. So before we took the break, we were talking about the whole critical race theory and uh, just what some of the ethnic studies the kids were being taught and basically taking non-racist kids and teaching them how to be racialized and only look at race. I'm still stunned at the story of looking at pictures of people and trying to say what race. It reminded me of a really bad movie called Domino, but there was a scene that was so amusing. A actress named Monique came on a show, and I think it was actually the Jerry Springer show that they engrafted into the movie, and someone said she was Black, and she says, I'm not black. I'm a Japanese. And she had all these names. She pulls out a chart of a list of all these mixed race people. And I don't know if that exercise was supposed to show you that you can't tell a ra- can't tell a book by its cover. I don't know, but it still appalls me that somebody would even point all that stuff out. So on to transgender stuff. Tell us a little bit about kids and their brains and how old they are when their brain starts to form. Well, the the normal brain development doesn't actually end until we're about 25. Um, and, you know, puberty, going through natural puberty is actually quite important for normal brain development. And, you know, I mean, I remember, you probably remember, puberty is not the most comfortable thing, right? I mean, when breasts are starting to come in, it, it hurts, right? <laughs> and what... What we're, what I'm seeing, and actually what what the uh, growing um, evidence, you know, in the in the data when you're looking at the detransitioners, um, what you're seeing is a lot of these kids who are having issues with 
gender dysphoria are actually on the neuroatypia spectrum. And, and so you can imagine when you are on the spectrum, a lot of times the world looks more black and white. And so if you're having this, you know, uncomfortable process, like your boobs are coming in and it doesn't feel quite right. And someone's like, oh, well, that means that you're a boy and you need to chop those boobs up. And you're already, your brain is trained into this kind of black and white thinking. Well, then of course you're going to believe then that must be it. And so if I jump, you know, chop off my boobs, then I'll feel better. And these kids are, you know, when we talk about this rapid onset gender dysphoria and you look at who is disproportionately affected, it's often kids on the spectrum. And to me, this is probably one of the most egregious things we can do. Um, the other big um, community that seems to be um, affected by this is just kids that would naturally end up being gay or lesbian, right? I mean, it, just because you like to, you know, dress and 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 it, it, part of normal development is also role-playing and, and experimenting. And the last thing you want to do during this massive time of, you know, extreme change is to label a kid. And that's exactly what, you know, this whole transgender movement is doing. It's labeling. It's it's telling a kid who's going through a process that is a process that let it be. And the data shows that 88% actually the dysphoria self-resolves once you finish puberty. So why are we interfering? I mean, we're basically ensuring a generation of patients dependent on our medical industrial complex. And when you look at some of the, quote, studies, I mean, these are not scientific method uh, you know, design studies. These are observational correlational studies that were never meant to answer the you know, questions that the headlines want you to believe. Um, when you look at it, a lot of them are funded by pharma. So, you know, I, I again, kind of so disenchanted to see how conflict of interests and big pharma and our medical industrial complex is now affecting our children. So I kind of went around the world <laughs> explaining. No, but my, since my, you're talking about big medicine, why do you think the AMA is putting out all these articles and, you know, let's give those transgender kids those hormones? How can the AMA jump on this? I mean, we realize the AMA is not representative of all physicians, but when you read the newspaper, people think it is. Well, not only is it not representative, I was on a Take Back Medicine uh, webinar. Take Back Medicine is an initiative that um, physicians are trying to take back our sacred profession. And a representative, a high representative from the AMA actually uh, disclosed that the majority of their money comes from CPT codes, right? So the more CPT codes that people use, and CPT codes, you know, for your lay public, that is how our medical industrial complex 
Netflix's bills. And so the codes, there's a royalty that the AMA gets from every time the third party processes a CPT code, right? So we know that it's not from physician dues. The AMA represents less than 15% of uh, actual physicians. Um, so that's number one. Number two is why are we surprised? I mean, they're the ones that ushered in the pain is the fifth vital sign, right? Which basically brought us our opiate crisis today. So that came from the AMA. And they are basically taking the AMA, the AAP, they're all taking the same playbook that I feel our educational system is, which is ignore. How many open letters to the AAP, to the Endocrine Society? How many you know, concerned doctors are being completely silenced in our um, associations, right? We, we, you and I have a, a colleague who was completely silenced for speaking up literally about these concerns. So I'm not surprised. I'm actually, honestly, mostly disappointed because I uh, naively had a little hope with this new president of the AMA because he was actually in my med school class. <laughs> so, I mean, we were, I mean, I know he got the same education that I did. So he should know what makes a credible study, right? But that is not what I'm hearing coming out of the, the new voice of the AMA. It's the same kind of propaganda that they've been pushing now for years. And, um, and there's, you know, I think it's, again, the conflict of interest, there's a lot of money to be made um, by, you know, having new codes for gender dysphoria, and, and all these, you know, billing for surgeries. And I mean, it, it, that's where I think the problem is, is how our system is set up. And until we you know, dig deeper into the root causes, which is how our, our health, you know, healthcare system actually works. We're not gonna, we're not gonna solve these problems. Um, and that, again, I do blame on our crony politicians. This time on our on our federal level. But isn't it look- sad that the kids? This is all being done on the backs of poor little innocent children. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Um, I mean, I'm not surprised, you know, but but it is uh, and and the most frustrating thing is we have all these European countries that are actually following the data and are not ignoring the the rising detransitioners concerns. And yet here in America, we're doubling down. So I, I just I think history is going to be the ultimate judge and it will not judge kindly the folks that are pushing this. Um, But what do you you think? I mean, and this is getting kind of and just off the top of your head. What do you think the reason could possibly be? Excuse me. We know that there's a whole group of people out there who want to, quote, fundamentally transform America. And how does this whole transgender thing and having transgender people be the new people with the halo around them and and the victims of the hour? And it's like, gee, did they get tired of making Blacks and, and Hispanics victims? So now we have to move on to another group. It, it, well, I, I, I don't get say- it. 
my understanding is it's not so much transform as dismantle. You know, that's the the word that I keep hearing. Even at school board meetings, you know, we have to dismantle. But I never I never hear, well, and and how do you rebuild? And what are we going to rebuild to? Like there's there's the destroy, but I don't see what the solution is. And when you think about what's you know, the end result is we are breaking up the family unit where, you know, what happens with a lot of these kids is they become infertile. So we're literally raising a generation of, of, you know, future adults who cannot have children. (laughs) Um, So well, you wonder, is that part of the population control agenda as well? I mean, a lot of the stuff goes in this pot that, is making America kind of getting frayed at the edges. I mean, it's a very cynical, but this is where we are. I, I yes, I mean, this my mind kind of starts wondering, like, what is the end game here? Um, and you, you do, you hear folks like Bill Gates say that what we have a, a overpopulation problem. I, I don't know. I don't. I honestly. Um, I want to believe that this is just a pendulum that is about to swing back. But um, being here in Silicon Valley and seeing how uh, truth, facts, you know, ethics, none of that matters when you're dealing with money, power, greed, that seems to drive ultimately the agenda. So my optimism over the last couple of years has, has been, you know, diminishing, shall we say, which is why I'm finally looking to potentially move. (laughs) But it's so sad, and it makes me sad as a physician, the daughter of a physician, the granddaughter of a physician, that a doctor would do something for filthy lucre and not for the patient. Yes, we get paid for our services, but to do a service just to make more money disgusts me. But they've convinced themselves that they're actually helping, right? I mean, they actually believe. I truly think that the, you know, doctors that are doing this think that they're doing good in this world. And if you can convince someone that by doing something, they're actually doing good, then they can do atrocities as well. And it, it honestly, it goes to the, the biggest issue for me is the the lack of informed consent, right? And so the, the one element of medical ethics that we learned from, you know, is it's the crux of the Hippocratic Oath, right? But we also reaffirmed this after the Nuremberg trials, after the Holocaust, when there was blanket, you know, human experimentation. Well, here, you know, we are not really giving the the real picture of what does it mean to go on these hormone blocking agents and 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 um, uh, hormone replacement therapy and 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 you know, the surgeries, like, the, I don't think, first of all, even as an adult, it's hard to really understand what you're signing up for, you know, some of these complete, and it's one thing when you're chopping off your breast to save your life because you have breast cancer, right? But it's a completely different story when you're basically, uh, I, I'm going to just, it's mutilating, it's mutilating bodies. That's what we're doing when there's really no evidence that it actually um, lowers suicide rates, because there isn't. I know that 
they're claiming that there is, but there actually isn't any studies that prove that. And when, you know, we just had the congressional testimony when uh, the doctor from Yale was asked, she couldn't name one study, not one. So under oath, there's not one study to actually show it actually helps reduce suicide. And yet we're claiming that it does to, you know, so it seems like a pretty drastic uh, solution to mental instability and mental issues. And like you said a little bit back, puberty is a difficult time and kids do go a little bit crazy during puberty. And I, I kind of feel like since when's the new treatment for uh, difficult puberty cutting off your sexual organs it's it's a bit radical don't you think <laughs> to, to say the least <laughs> to say the least um so yeah and and when it comes to you know doctors and and money i mean we saw that whole um you know thing change after the aca was passed i mean hippocratic oath medicine was slowly replaced by this new you know healthcare and profits over patient care that that took about a decade to indoctrinate doctors to accept that, right? Because if you think about what happened in the last 10 years since the ACA, we had massive consolidation. Doctors all became employed. So if you're a doctor and you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of student loans and, you, you know, bills to pay, you're going to want to keep your job. So if you, the entity you work for says, this is the protocol, this is the algorithm, you follow it and, or, or else you leave, right? Like you, we don't want you here. So that took 10 years to indoctrinate doctors to put, you know, something other than the patient in front of them as the priority. So the step now to this is quite small, in my opinion. You know, so I don't I don't think these doctors see it from the perspective that, you know, you and I who are, you know, still believe in Hippocratic Oath Medicine um, see it. And that's probably why they can live with themselves. I I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I this is one of those things. Boy, we could talk about this for hours. Unfortunately, our. (laughs) hour is up. And fortunately, for those of you out there listening, there are lots of doctors still left that practice Hippocratic Oath Medicine. And you can find some at APSonline.org or jointhewedge.org or uh, dpcfrontier.com. These are places where you can find doctors that are really dedicating their practice to individualized medical care. So there's still a lot of us out there. You just have to know where to look. Dr. Blum, you're a great mother and a great doctor. And thank you for coming on the show again. And I know I'm going to drag you back on. (laughs) With my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Okay. And thank everybody for listening. It's always a pleasure knowing you're out there listening. We've got a brand new feature. Now we've we had the emails that started up a few months ago where you can email a question. First names are fine. 
and we'll get an answer back to you. And the brand new one, new website, americaoutloud.shop, S-H-O-P, yes, for shopping. And it's got books and some of the medications. You can get Cofix Rx there, some of the healthy cell medications, um, the wellness company medications. And if you, when you go on there to buy something, if you put the code in out loud, that makes it easy. You get a discount. So that's very exciting. And I mean, there's tons of stuff on there. So give it a try. AmericaOutloud.shop. So whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.